0: Bibles with you, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 6. And while you're turning, let me say next Sunday, a new marriage class begins. How many of you can say, I could stand seeing my marriage uh, strengthened? It never arrives. It always needs some strengthening. Can I see your hands? All right, there's a few brave souls. They're starting next week at 9 o'clock. Sign up at the table afterwards. And the class is limited to 20 people, so you might want to get back there and sign up. And then we're having a new Sunday school class starting September the 11th. We thought we'd put a new twist to 9-11. And uh, that's beginning next week at 9:15. Uh, Learning to Walk in the Will of God. Dawson and Debbie Masters are going to be teaching that downstairs beginning at 9:15. And we need you to sign up back there at the tape table. How many of you are used to going to Sunday school of some kind or another? All right. And this is going to be a great class, and we encourage you to go and support Dawson and Debbie as they minister back there, and I'll be sending you a letter on that this week. All right, Mark chapter 6. If you love the Word of God, can you say amen? Amen. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, and let's just read together. This is one of my favorite stories. We're continuing in the series, The People Jesus Stopped For. The People Jesus Stopped For. We hear a lot about the steps of Jesus but not a lot about the stops of Jesus. But I'm going to finish this series today, and I'm going to call this today By Invitation Only. By Invitation Only. Mark 6, 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone, he was alone on the land. Then he saw them. Everybody say, he saw them. Now say with me, he sees me. Because he, they were about a mile and a half out. Because it was a three-mile journey from where they uh, launched from to where they were going. They got about halfway and couldn't go any further, so Jesus saw them about a mile to a mile and a half out. So it says he saw them straining At rowing, say with me, God sees it when I have a hard time. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Now notice this next phrase, and would have passed them by, or made as if he would go by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. Now turn quickly, take a right, and go to Luke 24, verse 28. And I want to read two verses out of this story. This is the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, in verse 28 of chapter 24 of Luke. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And look again, but he indicated, or made as if, he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, say it with me, everybody, abide with us. That's a great prayer, abide with us. For it is toward evening, And the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. He went in to stay with them. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say with me, Lord, abide with us. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. In our two stories that we just read, something very intriguing takes place. And I want you to notice this. In both instances, Jesus acted as if He would pass on by His disciples who were in need. In both instances, this happened twice in the New Testament, in two different situations, when there was a storm without and a storm within. Jesus acted as if He would pass by His disciples who were in need. Now watch this. In Mark, the disciples are in a storm at sea. They've been desperately rowing toward Bethsaida for about nine hours and getting nowhere. Have you ever felt like you were rowing in life and getting nowhere? Struggling towards something and getting nowhere? Trying to make something happen and getting nowhere? And the Bible says that Here they were rowing for nine hours. There was a storm at sea. There was a wind against them. And the uncanny thing is, Jesus is the one that told them to get into the boat, and he's the one that told them to go across. That tells me, just because he tells you to do it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Because they were obeying him, and in obeying him, they ran against this resisting wind for nine hours. Now, if you'll notice, the same story is told in Matthew, and in Matthew's account of the same story... Matthew focuses on the stress, the stress, the boat was put under, and it reads literally out of the original language like this. The boat was being put to the test by torture. The boat was being put to the test by torture. Mark's account focuses on the stress the disciples were put under, And the same language is used. We can interpret it this way. The disciples' endurance was being torturously tested. Have you ever felt like you were in a test that was torturous? In a test that took you to the brink, in a test that took you to the edge, in a test where all your natural resources and strength ran out? That's what they experienced right here. The boat was being put to the test by torture, and the disciples' endurance was being torturously tested. Now, it says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came walking to them on the water. Nine hours of rowing, nine hours of failure, nine hours of the fear of drowning, nine hours of discouragement. Finally, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. While Jesus went toward the boat, here's the interesting thing to me. The boat, he he took a course, he took a direction, that would have led him by the boat. He wasn't walking right up to it to get in it. He was walking by it, sort of like, hey, guys, I see you straining in your rowing. Excuse me while I just walk on by. Now, I want you to hold that thought, and let's look at the next story just for a moment. As the Middle Eastern sun rose slowly over Jerusalem on the first Easter morning, two men walked slowly down a lonely dirt road toward a small town called Emmaus. There was a storm not outside, but there was a storm in their soul. How could their Lord and Master, they thought, the key to all their hopes and dreams had been beaten beyond recognition then executed on the cruelest instrument of torture known to the ancient world. These two disciples were not one of the, any of the twelve. One of them's name was Cleopas. We don't even know the name of the other one. But they were disciples of Jesus Christ, at least on the outer fringe. And the Bible tells us that these two men were absolutely blown away by what had happened to them. They did not expect Jesus Christ to die the way He did. Every one of those disciples fully believed that Jesus was going to take over the world, take over the Roman Empire, and bring peace to earth. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. No man ever spoke like this man. It seemed like he was always in control. And then suddenly, chaos. Suddenly, Jesus is not fighting back. He's not speaking a word to deliver himself. He is not passing through the crowd as if he were not there, but he is arrested. He is tried in kangaroo court. He is beaten where you couldn't even tell who he was, and then he is hung on a cross, and to their sheer shock, he died. They have tried for three days to grapple with this reality, their stability, their foundation, their hope, Their security was yanked out from under them like a rug. They did not know what to do. They did not know where to turn. He was all they had known for three and a half years. Now he's gone. They're walking down this dirt road. The sun is rising. They don't know where they're going but to this little town. They're going to lick their wounds. They're going to get over it. They're going to try to put their thoughts together. They can't make hide or hair out of this. They can't make sense out of it. This is something they did not expect. Suddenly their world has caved in. They're talking as they walk. Can you believe this happened? I can't believe this happened. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. How could he have let it happen? We thought he was going to take over. We thought he was the answer. We thought he was the Messiah. They're walking, probably from time to time, weeping. Suddenly a stranger eases up to them. I don't know why, but they can't tell who he is. This stranger feigns ignorance, and he says... What's the matter with you guys? And they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem living there who does not know what has just taken place? That a man named Jesus, who was doing miracles, going about teaching all the people, had a gigantic following, did miracles, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out devils, walked on water. He was God in flesh, we thought. But they took him, they crucified him, and now he is dead, and we don't know what to do, and we don't understand. And suddenly this man, this person, spoke and said, Oh, you foolish and slow of heart and mind to believe. Don't you understand? This was supposed to happen according to the prophets, and beginning with Moses, he preached unto them Jesus Christ all the way through the Old Testament. And when they reached the gateway to Emmaus, The Bible says that he made as if he would go on. And it says they said to him three magic words that will change your life if you say them and if you mean it. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Abide with us. Abide with us. One commentator says he made as if he would have gone on and he would certainly have gone on if he had not been urged to stay. Now I'm going to say that again because we need to understand this about the dealings and the ways of God. He made as if he would have gone on and he would certainly have gone on if he had not been urged and asked and entreated to abide with them. In the first account in the stormy sea, he made as if he wanted to go by them. In the second story, he made as if he would have gone on. Now i got to tell you, that intrigues me. I want to know why God, wrapped in skin, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ with two times, with two sets of people, strangely, intriguingly, act as if he's going to pass on by them in their hour of greatest need. They're in a storm at sea. They're exhausted. They're depleted. And he made it as if he would go by. These two men had a storm in their soul, but he made it as if he would go on. What is the answer? Now, for the last six weeks, we've looked at some of the people that Jesus stopped for. Now watch this. He stopped for the woman with an issue of blood who sought him and touched the hem of his garment and was made whole. He stopped for her. He stopped for Zacchaeus. The man with a question who went looking for Jesus and climbed the sycamore tree that he might see Jesus. He stopped for him. He stopped for the widow with a broken heart who, lost in her pain, didn't even seek him at all, but he stopped for her. He stopped for a helpless man at a pool who needed to be shown a better way, that there was a better way than sitting in a pool hoping for a miracle, that the miracle giver was standing right next to him. He stopped for him. And he stopped for a blind man who cried out for mercy above the crowd and would not be silenced. He stopped for him. But in these two instances, he acted as if he would pass on by his disciples who had a storm without and a storm within. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why didn't he stop at the boat to help the 12? Why not just go right up to the boat and say, Guys, I'm so sorry I'm late getting here. You've been rowing for nine hours. I apologize, I should have gotten here sooner. Let me get into that boat and help you. But no, he just passed by. Why would he seem to walk away from two dazed and confused disciples when a storm was going on in their soul? Why would he make as if he was just going to go on by? Why act this way? See ya, it's been real talking to you. God bless you. Have a good stay in Emmaus. The answer is simple, folks. There are times Jesus stops by invitation only. I want you to hear me on this. He stops sometimes by invitation only. He wants to hear this from us. Lord, I'm weary of rowing through life. I'm weary of rowing through these problems, trying to reach my destination and achieve my goals in my own strength without you. Lord, abide with me. Lord, don't just fix the flat tires in my life. Once they're fixed, I want you in the car. Come on, everybody. I want you in the car with me, Lord. I want you riding with me. And then if I really get smart, I'll ask you to take over the steering wheel. But I don't just want a flat tire, God. I want you in the car with me, Lord. I want more than a 911, good only for emergencies, SOS, help me out of a jam, God. abide with me abide with me abide with me you see i believe to a lot of people jesus is a rescue helicopter we only call on him when we're in the rooftops and the water is rising and there's no way out but him but until we get to that place we'll do it on our own strength but these men realize there comes a time when jesus won't fool with you unless you say abide with me he comes in by invitation only There are some places in our life, and there are some places in your life right now, and in mine, private rooms in our soul, locked doors through which He will not walk, but by invitation only. He won't come into some of your habits. He won't come into some of your problems. He won't come into some of your vexations. He won't come into some of your fears. He won't come into some of the situations you've gotten yourself into, but by invitation only. You say, you say, why hadn't he shown up in my deal? Have you invited him into it? You say, well, I think I have. I've said, God, help me. Well, even the devils say, God, help me. Even devils believe and tremble. But if you said, Lord, this is a mess, I invite you in. I will do what your wisdom tells me to do. I'll do what your knowledge tells me to do. I'll do what your spirit tells me to do. I will submit to you. I will submit to your word. I will submit to your ways. Listen, it doesn't do any good to resist the devil unless you first submit to God. That's why a lot of people say, devil, I rebuke you. and He doesn't go anywhere. He does this at you because you're not submitted to God. You've got to submit to God. You've got to repent before him. You've got to get your heart right. You've got to get your life right. You've got to get your ways right. Then you can rebuke the devil, and he will flee from you. But there are some things he only comes in by invitation only. So, Pastor Jeff, that's not really very nice of him. Oh, he's a gentleman. I learned a long time ago the Holy Ghost is a gentleman. There are things he will not touch unless you invite him in you got to say, Lord, 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 please get into the boat. Please get into the boat. I've been rowing for nine hours in this marriage. I've been rowing for nine hours in this debt problem. I've been rowing for nine hours in these temptations and trials. Lord, I'm not getting anywhere in my own strength. I'm not doing anything in my own strength. I'm not being successful in my own wisdom, my own brains, my own talent, my own charisma, my own abilities. I'm rowing and I'm sweating, and I'm about to go under. Lord, get in to the boat. There are times he's walking right past you. You say, Lord, don't you see what I'm experiencing? I do, I do. Pray for you. Because up to now, you haven't really asked me in. You haven't asked me to help you. You haven't asked me to come into your situation. You haven't invited me. Oh, you've done some lip service, but you have not allowed me into your pain. (laughs) Revelations 3.20 says, look, I am standing at the door knocking. If one of you hears me calling, and opens the door, opens the door. Who opens the door? According to Jesus, we do. He knocks. Excuse me, Lord, I'm rolling. I'll work this thing out. I got it all together. Thank you that I'm saved. Appreciate you getting me off the roof. He says, you don't understand yet, do you? (laughs) You haven't reached the end yet, have you? Well, I'm right here knocking and I'm just waiting. Uh, I appreciate it, Lord, and I really do believe in you. I'm going to church every Sunday and I'm paying my tithe even. And every once in a while, I even break the door open on Wednesday night. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. You're such a good God. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Excuse me while I work it all out myself. And he sits there. You ready for my wisdom? Are you ready to break? Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to let me in the boat? Are you ready to quit your fighting? you ready to get rid of your pride, your self-reliance. I will come into his house to share his meal. You know what that meal represents? His life. If you hear him knocking and you open up that door, that even you don't go in sometimes. It's in your soul. Even you don't go there sometimes. You try to act like that room is not even there. Oh, we don't go in that room. We go in this room. We go in the main dining room. We go in the living room. But there's a room back there in the back quarters of that house, even I don't go into. It's been locked for a long time. But don't you know something is in there that stinks? Don't you know that he wants into every room in your... But Lord, that's where I got hurt really badly. That door will always remain locked, but you don't understand. Till you let me into that door and into that room where there are those dead bodies and those major issues, there are certain things I can't do with you. I'm knocking on the door, but you've got to open it, and if you open it, I'll come into his house to share his life with him, side by side with him. Now I want to guarantee you, to a lot of people, Jesus is a rescue helicopter when you get on top of the roof and the floodwaters are coming in, bodies are floating by, sewage and all kinds of stuff. Then we call out and we want to be wrapped, but as soon as the helicopter lets us down on safe land, appreciate it, Lord. Thank you. And we're gone. But there is a power... There is a power, and these two different circumstances show the power of saying to Jesus, abide with me. I don't want you just to set me free. I want you to abide with me. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to come to know you. I want you in the car. I want you in every room of my life. I want you to invade my life. I want you to take over my life. Because, frankly, Lord, I tried it, and I made a mess of it, and any time I try it, I still make messes of it. I need you in my life. But Jesus says, I'm going to make as if I'm going to pass by unless I hear from you a, hey, no, no, abide with me. Two things are happening with every problem you face today. Two things. One, the enemy is wanting to frustrate, discourage, and even destroy you with your problem. Second, Jesus is knocking at the door of it, and he will come into your troubled marriage, into your debt problem, into your temptations and struggles by invitation only. Otherwise, he sits there and he waits, standing on the water, walking on the water, walking by, waiting to hear the magic words, I want you in my life. For those who invite Him in, several things will happen. Now you can have a 911 Savior if you want, and you will go to heaven someday if you have called on the name of the Lord in faith. But if you're one of these precious ones who catches it, what it's all about, that He didn't just come to save me and get me into heaven, He came to be an integral, central person, the central person in my whole life, in every room thereof. For those who invite him in, I see several things that happen. First of all, a fuller revelation of him. A fuller revelation of him. A fuller knowledge of him. If you invite him in to your life. The disciples knew him as the Lord who walked on water only when they cried out to him and he stopped at the boat by invitation only. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know who that was walking on the water until... They cried out and invited him in. Then they saw, it's Jesus. He's a water walker. My gosh, I'm having a revelation of him I'd have never had, but by invitation only. The two disciples in Emmaus only realized who they've been talking to when He came into their house, they sat down at a table and they broke bread together. It says when He broke the bread and prayed over it, their eyes were open, and they realized that this stranger telling them all about Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ Himself. and It was Him visiting them and they saw Him and He vanished out of their sight. And you know what? That totally restored them where they went back to Jerusalem and shook the world for Jesus Christ only because they said, Abide with us. Come on, everybody. Abide with us. So a fuller revelation of Him which brings spiritual growth comes by invitation only. I can tell you, folks, I'm 52. I've been walking with God closely since I was 18. And I'm going to tell you something. I have never, 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 never did I ever come to know Him in any significant way until I said, Lord... I give you my life. And I allowed him to go into all those rooms. And you know what? Here's the revelation. I've realized there were rooms I kept from him till now. And I'm having to realize what I thought was fully yielded wasn't fully yielded because even I was afraid of some of those rooms. And I had to say, Lord, go into the room and heal me and unlock it and let him in. And that's exactly the way He is with you and me. Just like the children of Israel took over the promised land, city by city, town by town, giant by giant, God takes over our life. City by city, town by town, giant by giant. But you're going to have a fuller revelation of Him when you give your life to Him and say, Lord, don't pass by. Now that I'm free, don't pass by. Now that I'm set free, delivered. Now that I've been helped and I'm on solid land, don't pass by. Abide with me. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And He will show them His ways. Here's the second thing you'll get out of giving your life to Him fully. Achievement of your goals and dreams. Achievement of your goals and dreams. It says of the disciples when they were in the boat, it says, then they willingly received Him into the boat by invitation only. He didn't walk and force His way onto the boat. It says, then they willingly received Him into the boat. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. They've been trying to get there nine hours. They were getting nowhere fast. They were taking one step forward, two steps back. They couldn't beat this wind. They couldn't beat this storm. But the minute they willingly said abide with us, instantly they were at the destination they'd been trying to get at the entire time. The land they tried to reach but couldn't. The land they'd given their best to land on, but they couldn't because their best was not enough. When Jesus got into the boat, immediately their goal was reached. Can I tell you something today, church? There are some things, and we don't really believe this in the South. We don't believe this in America where we've got that can-do spirit. I mean, we can do. I've heard a lot of people say, we can rebuild New Orleans. We can this and we can that. You know, there's a lot of things we can do, but let me tell you the truth. You can't do anything unless God strengthens you to do it. And one thing you really can't do, you can't bear spiritual fruit. You can't reach the goals and the dreams and the destinations that God has put in your heart apart from the one who put them there. They're too big. God has placed some goals in your heart. He has put some dreams in your spirit some desires for your life He has placed in your mind. You've got a goal out there. Something that God has put there and you want it so badly. It may be a sound relationship. It may be an achievement that God has put in your life. He's given you a picture. He's given you a dream. He's given you a hope. And you have seen it dashed against the rocks. And you don't know what to do with it because you know that He put it there. Don't you know He'll let you row until you drop? And then he comes walking to you, not in the first watch, 6 to 9, not in the second watch, 9 to 12, not in the third watch, 12 to 3, but in the fourth watch, at 11 59 59, God comes to you and says, Hey, Lord, we've been rolling nine hours. Why have you waited so long? Because I wanted you to see your own natural strength will run out. I wanted you to see that where I tell you to go, you can't get there without me. I wanted you to see you are limited. And I wanted you to see I can walk on top of whatever is troubling you. And I can get you to the other side. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Better than that. Yes! So that when you step out of that boat, on the other side, you can't get the glory. Here's what you'll have to say. Oh, it was a mess as long as I rode. It was a catastrophe as long as I did it in my own ability. But when I, by invitation only, Let him in. I was there. God be the glory. The power of his spirit, the power of his grace, the power of his love, his incredible ability to pick me up and dust me off and set me on the right road and get me to this place I would never have arrived at apart from him. Some of you today need to put down your oars them now. Now there's a third thing that comes from inviting him in, and I want to close with this. I want you to imagine for a moment with me a sea of faces. Just imagine for a moment a sea of faces. They're black, white, yellow, red, all these. Some of them look sad. Some of them look depressed. Some of them look discouraged. Some of them look confused. Some of them are dressed well, some are dressed in rags. It's a sea of faces, and they're looking at you. Who are they? Who are they? You know who they are? They are those God has destined your life to touch. What a wonderful God we have, Paul said. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardship and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others the see of patience, are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement in Will Rogers Auditorium, for instance, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us. I learned a long time ago, folks. When God does it for me, He doesn't it. Do- Come 11- letting
1: to <laughs> He like the amazing dwellers and like the disciples in that boat. And we want to.